Good evening. I'm so excited to be here tonight to get to share this message and to be able to be with you guys and to worship God and just to share something that's kind of on my heart and something you guys have been talking about with Losing My Religion, the series you've been doing. And uh, I want to tell you real quick a real, little bit about Chris and me and our, our friendship. We've, uh, we've been friends for the last couple of years and we, we got the chance to work together and uh, if you don't notice, I mean, people confused us as twins sometimes, too. It was very popular. We look alike and uh, everything, same size clothes. Um, but no, Chris, Chris and I, when it comes to ministry, the, there's so many times we've been able to not only affect students' lives, but also main service worship and adults' lives um, through the ministry. Because we, all have, we both had the mindset that it was about being intentional to reach people for Jesus Christ and that... Um, we just want to confer to you guys that, you know what, we're all pastors, we're all ministers, and we all have uh, a, a, a mission field that we're reaching. And so uh, I'm just excited that Chris has uh, allowed me to come up here and speak and be a part. How many people have a perfect bracket? Anybody got a perfect bracket? How many bracket busters we got in here? Anybody? Okay, who, who picked Mercer, okay? Any day Duke loses is a great day, right? Amen, amen, can we get, testify? I'm from eastern Kentucky, so if you notice this kind of hillbilly slang or anything, don't worry, it's all right, I'm used to it. Um, but uh, any day that Duke loses is a good day, I consider. Um, hey, uh, l- let, me, let me just share a couple of things uh, about myself. Um, let you guys know a little bit about me is um, me and my wife just had our second baby boy Micah, uh, first baby boy Titus is two years old, so we have a two-month-old and a three-month-old. And let me, just, let me just take for a second, I know there's some parents here with babies, and let me just translate what that means for you. Here's what it means, two-year-old and three-month-old, no sleep, ever, for eternity, <laughs> ever, okay? Um, there's this thing that happens at four in the morning, and I don't know why, but my two-year-old gets up, and he just decides to say, Daddy, phone, Daddy, phone, phone, Daddy. Uh, I guess he's got to check his Twitter, his Instagram. I don't know what's up, but uh, he's really into Legos right now, and he's got to build Legos at 4 a.m. for some reason. Um, but uh, dad life is awesome. I love dad life, and uh, I love that God has blessed me um, with two awesome little boys that I get to hopefully... Uh, just guide and direct to their perfect heavenly father. And uh, that's all I want to do. Um, I've been in ministry for about the last 10 years. And actually, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this. I started preaching 10 years ago, and I remember my first sermon. It was in a small Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky. And the pastor there was a family friend of uh, my family. And uh, my dad had arranged it for me to preach there. And, and Kevin, the pastor, was completely fine with it. He was excited. I was in Bible college and So it was a Sunday night service, and if you guys grew up in church, we used to have these things called Sunday night service, where it was like, we had Sunday morning, and then we had Sunday night, and it was like, if there was 100 people there on Sunday morning, there was like 10 people there on Sunday night, and it just came back, and and so I was preaching on a Sunday night, and um, it was the first sermon, and I was expecting in my mind that I was going to be like a Billy Graham, a Francis Chan, you know, someone like that. Uh, I had low expectations for myself. Um... I'm not a very prideful individual. Uh, but anyway, so um, I get up and I preach this sermon. I want to tell you something. Is this church had like this heater like lodged up in there and it was coming down. And about halfway during my sermon, because it was a, a really 
conservative church, I had to wear a suit, is I just started sweating and sweating and sweating and sweating. And then I'm like looking at my armpits, I'm like, I'm not raising my arms. The whole time I got tight like this, you know, it's like, I look, gotta look, gotta look good, gotta look good, okay? Um, and I'm sweating. And uh, I remember I went back to college uh, that next week, went back to school, and one of my professors, he said, how'd your first sermon go? I said, professor, listen, I was sweating so bad, I was like a fat hog that just saw a bacon truck go by, okay? Listen, it was bad. It was rough. Um, but, uh, but God's been good to me and my family, and uh, I'm encouraged by that story that young lady told. It was just uh, awesome. God is so good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, the scripture we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to focus on a couple different scriptures, but I want you to go ahead and I want you to get the concept of our message tonight is this. It's relationship, not religion. Would you say that with me? Relationship, not religion. Amen. The scripture we're going to look at first is in Matthew 21, verses 18 through 20. And I want to set up just before, we're going to leave it on the screen just for a second, but I want to give you a little, just a little bit of a history lesson behind this, because this is kind of one of those stories where Jesus is kind of talking in parable, and it's a little bit of a figurative language, and it's kind of hard to understand unless you kind of study the background in it. And so here's what I want you to understand, is he's getting ready to talk about this tree, and this tree is a common tree of the area. And all the people, all the Jewish people that Jesus were with, they would have known about this tree, and they would have known the exact type of leaves and the type of fruit and everything that it would have produced, and would have known the exact time of year for it to produce this fruit, okay? So listen to our text. Here it goes. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except for leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed how, uh, how he did this. The fig tree withered so quickly, they ask. And, and here it happens. Here's this thing where Jesus is hungry, and you see him talk to this fig tree, and he, just, he basically just says, you're done, you're over. And you kind of think, well, that's some tough scripture. What does that really mean for our lives? How does that relate? Well, here's what I want you to understand is, is when Jesus sees this tree, as the Bible tells us, that he sees the leaves on it. He sees that the tree is healthy. He knows that the tree has the right ingredients, that it is getting the right nutrients it needs to grow. But here's the thing. The tree has no fruit on it. The tree is just giving off the image and the appearance that it is well, that it is doing fine. But really, the tree is missing its whole purpose because the tree's purpose is not to grow leaves. The tree's purpose is to provide fruit. And so when Jesus sees this, he sees this as a teaching opportunity for the disciples. And so he takes the tree and he says, I'm done with you. And he's using this because what's getting ready to happen is they're getting ready to walk up into um, the Mount of Olives and they're getting ready to um, be at the time where um, that Jesus is getting ready into Jerusalem. And this common tree that's in Jerusalem, that's around the city area, He's telling them, listen, this tree looks like life is fine. This tree is doing all the right things to give the appearance that it's okay, that it's a good tree, but really, it's not. Really, it may have some of the things that give it the appearance that it's okay, but it is missing its main purpose and its existence. And church, it is easy for us to be like that sometimes. It is easy for us to miss the main purpose and point of our existence. And it goes back to what I said earlier, that the purpose, the point of us, is to have a relationship, not a religion. So I'm gonna go through three quick things, 
Every preacher says that, right? I'm gonna go through three quick things to talk about things, phrases that kind of get us stuck into doing things and also to not producing the fruit we need. Here's the first one. We have to always do it that way. We have to always do it that way, okay? Here's what happens is sometimes we get stuck in traditions and we let those guide our life, but we cannot do that. We cannot let traditions guide our life. They cannot be the things that guide us towards God. The same thing with our families. Our families are important to us and they should be important to us, but that shouldn't be what drives us to God. The only thing that should drive us is our relationship with Jesus, amen? So what I'm saying is, not necessarily that we have to change things to change things, but we have a purpose and a mission. And we can't be a church, a people group, that just has the appearance that we have a purpose and a mission. We have to produce fruit. We have to truly have fruit there for people. Because here's the thing is that many people can walk and see nice churches and buildings and cathedrals and all that, Or you can walk into a church and feel the presence of the living God, that fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's so much more powerful. So we have a mission, and what reflects our mission in our gospel, or reflects our mission is the gospel. And Jesus has told us that we are to go out and we are to be people who seek to tell the gospel. Now, how we do that is reflected in our culture. Chris is one of the best people I know as being culturally relevant. He's someone who makes sure to listen to music that other people might be interested in because he wants to win people to the gospel. Also, our environment can, can change how we view and how we interact with people in the gospel. I mean, if you work in a warehouse compared to working in a grocery store, how you talk to someone might be different. And also, the turning of time as time changes and as technology changes, There's going to be different ways for us to communicate the gospel. And then also, the last thing is, what's going to happen is people all over the world need the gospel. And we can't just think in our own community, but we have to think beyond these walls. We have to think into our community and then out into the world. And here's the thing, is that the message of the gospel, our purpose of producing fruit, never changes. Okay, that never changes. But here's what will happen sometimes is that the methods of reaching different people are changing. And they will always be changing. They should be changing. It's like this. When I sit in the car with my grandpa, my grandpa loves to listen to old bluegrass music. Okay? And when I step into the car with him, he wants to listen to bluegrass music. When I step into the car with my dad, my dad listens to talk radio all the time. And when I step in the car with my sister, Okay, she's 19 years old, it's Lady Gaga, it's Katy Perry, and we do all the dances and it's really fun. Uh, But here's what I'm saying is that you will use different techniques, different methods to reach people for the gospel, and I'm so encouraged by a church here at Burlington Baptist who has made that aware and is looking to do that. The second point I want to bring up tonight is about something the church has kind of got stuck in the church in general is what I'm talking about, of a thing that kind of derails us from producing that fruit. And this is a popular word that many preachers, many book writers have started to use. It's called churchianity. Churchianity. And by definition, it's basically this, that we've made the church our mission field, that we've made ourselves church people, not Christians. 
And we've lost our purpose of producing fruit and to following Jesus. And one of my favorite verses that I love is John 3.30. It's John the Baptist, and he's talking to his disciples, and they're saying, you know, here's this guy, Jesus, and he's coming, and he's baptizing more people than you. Are you jealous? Is that hurting your pride? And you know what he says to his disciples, his friends, the people that have followed him? He says this, he must become greater, and I must become less. And that is a perfect focus of how a Christian should be. Now this churchianity thing that we get stuck in sometimes is about how we can build bigger or how we can do this instead of, or, or what we can do for necessarily ourselves instead of others. But really John the Baptist had the best thinking when he says, he must become greater, Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. Think about it like this. You have relationships. You're married possibly, you have friendships, you have children, And in all these relationships, it's great. It's great to have these. It's great to be a father. It's great to be a husband. It's great to be a friend. But you know what? Having God in those relationships, doesn't it just make it better? When God is at the center of your marriage, I can tell you that it makes it better. One of the things that Chris has done um, that I've seen that's encouraged me is sometimes he'll just stop and, and he'll put on a sermon and he'll just, him and his wife will be sitting in the car and he'll just put on a sermon and he'll just say, hey, 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 Miranda, I'd love for you just to hear this with me and so we could talk about it. And what he's doing is he's refocusing and he's leading his wife to say, listen, it's about our relationship and if our relationship, our marriage is going to be right, our relationship with God has to be right. Amen. And so everything in our life, if we want our friendships to be elevated to where we have friends who we would willingly give our life for, then our relationship with God has to be right. If we want our relationship with our children to be right, then this is what you have to do, parents, is you have to pray at the end of the night when you're sitting with your children, putting them in bed, and they get out of bed, and then you've got to put them back in bed, get out of bed, and put them back in bed. When you're putting them in bed, you've got to say, Lord, they're yours and I pray they follow you all the days of their life, no matter what that cost me. No matter what that cost me, amen? And that's so true, is that if we wish for these things to, our relationships to truly be God-focused, then we gotta make sure he's the center of these. And this word, churchianity, can get in the way. Let me give you an example. Is if we equate church attendance with personal holiness, closeness to God, will miss the mark. Just doing church stuff doesn't mean you're going to get closer to God. See, God wants a pure and real faith from you. When I first started out in ministry, there was these two older ladies who were in their 70s and they'd been coming to church their entire life. And every Sunday they would wear this kind of scarf, sweater type ordeal. And it had all these pins on it. And one day I just asked these two older ladies, I said, what are these pins? I don't, I don't know what these are. And they said, these are Sunday school pins for perfect attendance for 69 years and 70 years. Holy smokes. Are you serious? What did you do when you having a baby? Did you just like leave the hospital and come to Sunday school? And she was like, I'm so proud of these. These are awesome. I mean, and I was like, okay, okay. But you know what I learned from her is that she cared more about those pins 
about her own family coming to church because none of her, her kids came to church with her. None of her grandchildren came to church with her. And really, that's what happens in this churchianity thing is we get lost doing church stuff that we miss the mark to really walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we just stop and think for a second, we'd realize that Jesus wants a relationship, not a religion. He doesn't care if you have 76 pins for perfect Sunday school attendance. He cares how your heart is. He cares that your heart is focused on him. And so church, don't get lost in this churchianity stuff. And the third thing I'd like to bring up is our appearances. There's a verse in scripture, Luke 37, 42. And it's one of my favorite verses in scripture and it tells a a powerful story. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing because it's gonna take too much time, but I just wanna give you just a synopsis of it. Here's what happens is Jesus goes to eat with these Pharisees and here's what happens is they're giving him a cup and he doesn't clean himself. He doesn't do the ceremonial washing. He doesn't do the churchianity thing where he does this and he takes care of all the dirt. He just goes ahead and he takes the cup and he begins to eat. He begins to drink. And so this Pharisee just kind of scolds him and says, you didn't do this, you didn't place this here and this here, and the podium was moved here, and you had drums on stage. He didn't do, he didn't, he made such a big deal out of nothing. And Jesus just looks at him, and he says this amazing thing, is he says, you Pharisees worry about the outside of the cup instead of the inside. And what Jesus is doing there is he's saying, listen, you're so focused on your appearances being correct that you miss it that you miss it, that you miss the thing that God more than anything wants your cup to be clean, the inside of your cup. He wants more than anything for you to have a relationship with him, not a religion. And Jesus lays that out to the Pharisees and he's basically saying this, in one line he's saying, you can't fake it. You can't give the appearance that everything's okay. It's okay if you have doubt. It's okay if you struggle. It's okay if you have these things where you're fighting addictions, you're fighting problems in your marriage. It's okay. Just come clean to me. Just come clean and say, you know what? Jesus, my cup is messy. And Jesus' response is, that's okay. I want you to worry about the inside of your cup. I want your heart to be right. And I could preach on this for hours and hours, but really, there's a song that just tells it so much better, and, and uh, Chris is going to take a, a moment and, and just to sing that, and I want you just to, to sing the lyrics with him, just to make this your prayer to God, that tonight, tonight, you're going to let your cup, you're going to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want this relationship with you, I don't care about this religion, I don't care my appearances aren't right. I've, I've got all these things messed up in my life maybe, but, but God, I know you care about the inside. So true, church. That is so true and so powerful to know that, that really God wants us just to come back to him. And if I could close with this, it would be that you would understand that a relationship with Jesus is better than any type religious thing or act that you can do. See, as the scripture goes on, Jesus goes and he enters into Jerusalem. And as he enters into Jerusalem, he's kind of questioned there by some of the Pharisees. And they ask him, they say, 
expert on the law. Jesus, you know everything. Jesus, you're Mr. Know-it-all. Tell us, what's the greatest thing? And Jesus just lays it out like this, and he says this. He says, it's to love God. It's to love God, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the greatest commandment. And then this is what he says in verse 40. It's one of the most powerful things in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40. And all the law, all the religious stuff, all the commands, all the prophets, everything that we do falls and hangs on these two commandments, to love God and to love others. And really, if we think about it, that's really what we need. That's really what we have to do. I want to close by, by telling this story. Is when I was in Bible college, I had a, a professor. And uh, Dr. Curfees was his name. And he kind of looked like Colonel Sanders off, uh, from the KFC chicken, you know. He kind of had the big beard. And he wore a blue suit to class all the time. Uh, he was a hilarious guy, though, and he would come in, and, and he would have a diet, Dr. Pepper, and he'd always say, well, I put a little gin in it today. And he would joke around. And he told this story, though, one time, this, this story that just hit me and just made me think about my ministry, made me think about my relationship with Jesus. And he said this, he says, he was a young man who just got out of college, and he was a, a pastor at this church, and this church had just had a, a split. And he went to one group, and he went to the other group, and he tried to talk to both of them, and neither one of them would listen. And then finally they just said, we're just done. And one of the people said, well, you should go talk to uh, Miss May. She's one of the older ladies in the church. She's been here for a long time. And go talk to her about this split. And Dr. Curfees had been told it was all about the end times, and that's what was causing the church split. It was all about this churchianity thing. And so they have this, this discussion. Dr. Curfees goes to meet Miss May, and he sits down with her, and he remembers looking at this wise, Bible-carrying older lady. And he says, trust me, Trust me, Miss May, I've studied all the things about end times, and I'm prepared to talk about all the discussions, and I'm ready to debate and to discuss and to argue for all these different positions. And you know what she does? She grabs his hand gently, and she says, Listen, brother, the church isn't splitting because of this. The church is splitting because of a lack of love. And he said it. As he held her hand right there, his whole ministry changed. His whole life changed. Because he realized that if we didn't have love, if we missed love in church, the place where love should flow, the place where love should be, then we have missed it. And if we focus more on religion than relationships, then we'll continue to miss what Jesus has for us. We've come to this point in, in our service where maybe you've just thought about your relationship with Jesus and maybe you've been doing some things that are going through the motions, just stepping through the, the, the kind of things and doing the church thing, or maybe you're just kind of doing the, the college thing or doing the I'm a good kid thing, or maybe it's a I'm just coasting through life kind of thing. And maybe tonight you need to just kind of 
come up to the altar and, 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 and pray and kind of reconnect with God. Maybe it's to make that first time decision. Maybe it's just to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my Savior. Lord, I don't want to walk. I can't do all these things. My cup's never going to be perfect. And thank you that you don't care that it, that it isn't, that you died on the cross so that I could be a mess and you'd love me anyway. And then also at this, this time, we're going to get up and we're going to take communion. There's some stations over here. It's a time just to reflect on, on what Christ has done for us who are believers to understand that he sacrificed himself on the cross for us and the bread and the juice represent that. His body and his blood that was shed. And then also as, as worshipers, as believers, we're going to have the chance to also um, put in our offering. Just to say to God, God, you've done so much for us. We are so grateful for you. And God, here's just a portion of what we try to give back to you, that we want to give you our hearts and worship. We want to give you our lives and worship. And here's how we can do that. And so as we get ready to this um, decision time, if you need to step up here and pray to take communion, to drop in your offering, we're going to have a time to do that. Would you pray with me real quick, though? Father, I thank you that you are a God of relationships. Lord, I thank you that in your very presence and personality and in your entity, that, Lord, you are Father, Son, and Spirit, that it is a perfect relationship. Lord, that you have represented that to us, to show us, to guide us, to direct us closer to you. And, Lord, I can't imagine what it's going to be like to see you, Lord, when we get to heaven. But Lord, I'm so thankful now to know that we've been adopted into your kingdom. Lord, that we've been adopted to be called your sons and your daughters. That we've been adopted into this relationship with you. Because you are a God of relationships, Lord. God, I just pray that you would help us to make decisions tonight to Maybe think about how we need to restructure our relationship with you or God, maybe our family or some of our friends. God, we just want to have pure relationships. God, I just pray that you just guide us in this next time to give you ourselves, give you our worship. Lord, just to draw closer to you. Father, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.